Reading from the book of Proverbs. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion and they will be life for your soul. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honour you if you embrace her. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counsellors, there is safety. Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a, is a sorrow to his mother. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. Train up, in a, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like a rottenness in his bones. You should be faithful to your wife. Just as you take water from your own well, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favour from the Lord. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Father God, I just thank you for this opportunity to share with this community. I pray this a blessing upon the words that I share. May it be... uh, helpful to all here and let them not just uh, fall the wayside that we can apply this to our everyday life because we need your wisdom in every aspect of our lives in jesus name amen thanks pat now i was as i said i was a uh, uh, a nurse but i specialized in pediatrics and i was also a kids pastor so do not worry about kids making noise in fact adults you can make noise as well i welcome it so if you've got someone who makes noise, don't be embarrassed. Just allow them to be making noise, all right? And even in the in the foyer, you can make noise as much as you like out there. I do not mind it. I, in fact, I welcome it. Even if you can make noise behind your mask, it's okay as well. Um, has anyone here made a poor decision? Anyone here? Would you like to come and share your poor decisions? No, no, only joking. We all make poor decisions. We've all made mistakes. We've all regretted things that we would have liked to have done better or, or choose, chosen a different pathway, whether it's a financial decision, whether it's a relationship issue, whether it's a whole variety of different things. We've all made things that we would rather have not made at the time. And in fact, the fact is that most mistakes or errors that we make, guess what the common denominator is? You. You were present when that decision was made. And you may have made that decision because of you wanted something, you, you, you thought it was going to be good for you, you wanted immediate satisfaction. There's a variety of reasons why we make these decisions. And the trouble is, um, some of those decisions hurt you, sometimes those 
decisions hurt others or they can have that ongoing impact that have a ripple effect. And in my position of focus on family, I provide a lot of uh, pastoral care uh, for people or I send people in the right direction. And time and time and time again, people said, I wish you had come into my life a little bit earlier. You mentioned before about mentors. Oh, I tell you what, if you could change the culture in our world today, we all need to be mentoring someone and being mentored by somebody to have that input both forth and back and forth to help us make wiser decisions. So when I say how many have made poor decisions, we've all made different decisions that we go, oh, maybe I would have liked to have done better. And we need to be able to make wise decisions. And that's what I like to be talking about when it comes to family and when it comes to relationship. And you might be saying, well, I'm not married or I've been married. And and in a room this size will be a variety of different demographics. And I get that. But we've also connected to a family somewhere along the line. Somewhere we have been connected. And if I would, and I had my, if I had my way, I would have loved the young people to stay in the service today. Being intergenerational, to be able to give them input so they can feel included, involved, and, and that they would feel like it's relevant for them. And so we are God's kids anyway. So we need to make sure that we are being as engaged as possible, but it doesn't just stay on Sunday. It is a ongoing lifestyle that we need to have these conversations. In fact, I wish, I I used to think that wise people were smart people. Has anyone ever thought that? You know, if smart people, I know some smart people, but they're not wise. In fact, I, I I just spoke to a friend of mine who's got uh, a friend who has fallen, and he's apparently a, a highly intelligent man, but he has been told that if you invest in this part of land in Africa, when it rains, diamonds come to the surface. I'm kidding you not. And I'm going, what? And he goes, no, it's, the, it's legit. I've spoken to the guy. And he's sent money to this people, and he's wondering why he's not getting any response. Not a, not, not, he's not a dumb person, but he hasn't been wise. And our knowledge, our knowledge today has increased so dramatically. So wisdom and, uh, and, and being smart are not two in, not hand in hand. In fact, I read this, and obviously it's on Google because it's always accurate on Google. I have everything there. And it says nanotechnology, technology, nanotechnology is doubling every two years and clinical knowledge every 18 months. Our average human knowledge is doubling every 13 months. It has been calculated because of the internet, it will be a result in doubling our knowledge every 12 hours. I'm, how many know that knowledge is one thing, but wisdom is another? Because we know in our culture today, we're not doing so well. We know that there's a lot of things not going to plan. In fact, I wish that we didn't steer away from God's wisdom from the very beginning because it has that ripple effect, that domino effect from generation to generation because we've all fallen short of our deal. So where do we start? Well, we need God's help for the wisdom. And that's the reason why I like to talk about that the, in the book of Proverbs, as, as Pat was reading out, there's, uh, it's, it's like a potpourri. You wish there was just, you know, one verse, one chapter that had all the stuff in family, one one about relationships, one about life, but it's, it's, it's interspersed. It's like a potpourri, as I say. And so that's the reason why I had a variety of verses. But it says in the beginning of wisdom, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We know this. 
And a lot of people have this idea about fear. So I want to make you so you can feel like you're participating today and it keeps you awake, all right? So every time I use the word fear of the Lord, because a lot of people think the fear of the Lord is, ah, you know, the ah, don't like that. So you can do that with me, all right? Ah, ah, all right, you didn't do it. I'm watching, all right. I'm different, all right? I'm a kid's pastor, I'm different. And I work so on the radio. But, but really the fear of the Lord is a, ah. So you can do that one, ah. So every time I hear the word of the fear of the Lord, I want you to make sure that you go, ah. Because it reminds us that the fear of the Lord is not in fear and trembling, but it's in fear of in reverence. And we need to have that reverent fear of God to get, help us with wisdom, help us with knowledge, to help us with insight, to do every aspect of our lives. But particularly what I'm going to be focusing on is the family dynamic. And so if I was going to start somewhere, is where do we start getting wisdom? Where do we, where do we start? And the, probably the, 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 you know, this is the position that posture is, is your posture towards God in fear. And I remember when I was about 10 years of age, we, we, we were a family. We never swore. We never swore. Like, and I, hopefully you don't swear either, but you know, like we don't, we didn't swear. And one day I hurt myself in the playground and, and I don't know what happened and I don't know what I said, but I remember I did swear because I was hurt. And there I had this unhealthy fear of God that, ah, because I thought God was going to come and strike me down with a lightning bolt. And some, you know, 45 years later, I'm still here and I didn't get struck down by the lightning bolt. But sometimes young people can have that fear as well. They don't have that reverent fear that, ah, good, you're on it. I've got one person on the phone. So where do we start? Where do we get that reverent fear of God? Well, we have to desire it. And obviously, the, the, the book of Proverbs actually says this. Look for it for a silver and search for it as a hidden treasure. It is a, a beautiful thing. In fact, one of the greatest things that you can give to your children and grandchildren is to help them have wisdom. In fact, a lot of people say, what do you want for your kids? And they go, oh, I want my just kids to my, I, I want them to be happy. I don't want my kids to be happy. I didn't, I never wanted my, if that was my ultimate goal to make them happy, then they would want Mars bars for breakfast. That's not really, it makes them happy, but it's not going to be good for them. No, my, my desire was for them to be independent free thinkers to be able to contribute to society, to be able to be using God-given gifts, to have an outward focus, and to gain wisdom. Because wisdom is the thing that will set them up for success, not only now, but in the future. (coughs) Excuse me. Are you sure there's not got dusty in it? And then we need to pray for wisdom. It says in James, if anyone lacks wisdom, ask God. There's so many people who go, they just go spontaneously, don't think through the consequences, like my friend, who wonders why he's not getting a return, a, a return phone call or an email after he sent them money to get this diamonds that just come through the ground when it rains. And God's word, read and study his scriptures. It sounds very obvious, but to include him in our everyday lives is just uh, un- we don't realize in God's word how much we have at our disposal and we tend to do things in our own strength and we tend to do things in our own 
efforts and wisdom and our own intellect and it gets us into all sorts of troubles. So I'm going to start with just the kids and their parents at the beginning. All right, so let's just start off with what the bird says here. There was a guy named Mark Twain who said, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand having the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. Has anyone heard? I hear many parents, I go and speak to student bodies at at schools and and the kids just think that their parents were just born old, you know, had no life experience. I'll never understand. I just, you know, they talk about them like that. And sometimes we think that we know it all. And in fact, young people are going through what a process called individuation. They're actually saying, back off, mum and dad, I've got this. Back off, grandma, grandpa, I know what I'm doing. But they don't realise that they need the wisdom from mum and dad to include them. And our parents actually have got a lot of wisdom. And and I I am sure if I was to spend any more time with you, I'd ask a few more questions. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, I was speaking to a woman in her 80s. And, uh, and she, and I was saying I'm going to be, uh, talking about wisdom. She goes, oh, I should have listened to my mum. I should have listened to my mum. She was going out with a young man who her mother didn't think was right for her, but she knew better because she was in love. You know, she, she knew it all. She, she, she knew better than her mother. And, and it led to an engagement. It led to a wedding. And then the wedding ended up in 20 years of heartache and pain, had she only listened to the wisdom of her parents. The idea that we can do it in our own is, unfortunately, is the thing that gets us into all sorts of problems. We need life experience. We need other people's life experiences. And we need to make sure that we actually are using the wisdom and the intellect from our parents about what that looks like. When we're looking at the, um, in Proverbs, it says, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in abundance of counsels, there is safety, having other people. And it may not be your parents, but it may be other godly people speaking into your lives. Proverbs 18 says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. So, Sometimes people say, I've got this on my own. I can do it myself. And I remember seeing uh, my grandson just recently trying to build something. And I said, can I help you? And he goes, I can do it myself. So I back off. And I and, he, and wait until the frustration gets to him. And I said, can I help you? I do it myself. And I said, okay. Now I can do it for him. But until he realizes or the frustration builds up as much as it can, he will eventually say, Pa, can you help me? Sure, mate, I can help you. There's something in our, even in a child, but even as adults, we don't tend to listen to people who are gone before us. And we need to help our young people realize that we've got life experience. We've got things to put into their lives and never underestimate the value of grandparents. And when, if, if, and can I implore you, if you start a mentoring program, grandparents or grandparenting figures, never underestimate the value that you can have put. You might say, I make, I can't connect to them. I don't understand them. They want to listen to you. You'll find a way to connect. So I encourage you to continue to explore that. But we don't need to go through pain to actually get a PhD in life. Sometimes we use that from other people's point of view. 
We need to seek the experience and the uh, wisdom from others, learn from their wins and their losses and their mistakes, and watch and observe what they are doing. Because there's so much that we can learn. And so many times, I mean, I recall my dad talking to me about, um, you know, finances. And he was never a rich man. He was very good with money. And now I've actually got that. And I've instilled that into my children to be good with their money. Those little things, those uh, little learning experiences passing on from generation to generation to set up my children for success. But it's challenged to do this unless we, you know, for kids, kids can often just think they've got it all. But if, if you have got children or grandchildren, you'll know that children don't always get along. I don't know about your children, but, you know, sometimes they, they, know, how to, they know how to push the buttons. Does anyone know? If you've got brothers and sisters, you know how to push their buttons. Does anyone remember doing that? Yes? Remember, you know, the, I can see your pupils dilate from here. You know, like, oh, yeah, I know how to hurt them. I know they got that. But we need to make sure and encourage, and this is something that our young people don't realise, and it upsets me when I see siblings don't get along well with each other. We intentionally helped our children become more connected, good friends, good mates, because there's something solid about the the brotherhood that was there. But, you know, it's hard to be... um, It's hard to be mad at somebody who you really like. It's hard. And it's hard. But I mean, the the scripture that Pat read out before, a friend loves at all times, a brother is born for adversity. It's very hard to stay annoyed when your brother and sister is caring for you. But we do know how to annoy each other. And we do know, uh, and and I I was listening to a podcast, and I'm going to read out the way that I heard it the first time. And it was a guy from a a Scottish um, preacher. And he says, and it comes from Proverbs 18, verse 19, he says, A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city, and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. No, I just thought I'd say, say that just to see if you're still listening. But the reason why is saying that the, the, the words from a sibling, the words from a, 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 a relative hurt so much more than just a, a, another, just a, a person. So we have to actually help our children get along with each other. And there's a whole lot of things I could share on that, for, but for the sake of time, I can't. But that happens so often, so often, that we need to encourage our children not only to get along with each other, but they need, going back to the very beginning, that fear of the Lord. Ah, yeah, got to keep on that. And parents, parents need to, uh, we need to actually earn that right to speak into our children's lives. In fact, um, the scriptures talk about listening to your parents, listening to parents. So a role for kids is to listen to their parents, easy said than done. But time and time again, when I speak to young people, they often would say to me, you know, why they leave the church and they said they see the hypocrisy. Now, when you ask them to unpack that, they just think it's a good line. Hypocrisy, hypocrisy, hypocrites, hypocrites. But for for parents and kids, kids will smell a hypocrite a mile away. They just do. And you can be one thing on a Sunday or one thing when you're with other people and different on another time of the day. We need to live out our faith 24-7. Same with grandparents, same with people who you know in our lives. To be able to, for our children to be, Seeing your role model, your kids are watching all the time. They know when you're doing something really good 
and they definitely know when you're doing something bad. So sometimes you have to discipline yourself because your kids will pick up your bad habits or your grandchildren will pick up your bad habits. It's not good when you see it when they say something. In fact, our grandson keeps on saying this. He goes, oh, what the heck? Now, that's language we would not use in our household. He goes, what the heck? Guess where he learned it from? His cousins, his older cousins. So now we have to try and think of it because he just, he doesn't know what it means, but we just don't, it's not a language that we would use, but he picks up things. He's observing, he's watching, he's getting things. And you know, whether, whether you like it or not, your kids will observe you. And so we need to, um, another great verse, I think it comes from, you know, um, this, my greatest verse as a, as a kids pastor, but as a greatest verse that I think for parenting is from Deuteronomy chapter six where it talks about loving the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then it actually it says to have it in your own heart, to, to have it real, authentic, genuine. And then it says impress it upon your children when you're walking along the road, when you're, when you're, when you're going to bed at night. But if fast forward to the 21st century, when you're driving them to school or driving them to sport or to music, or we can include God in our everyday conversations. But you know what we see nowadays? parents not having these conversations and their kids are just staring at a screen it happens so much children under the age of two observing at a screen all the time and we use these as great babysitters and it's just missing out an incredible opportunity to interact to talk to dialogue to converse to talk about you know, the everything and anything. And our kids will ask hundreds and hundreds of questions if you let them. It can be annoying, but I tell you what, it's far better for them to ask a million questions than continue to stare at their screens all the time. The verse where it talks about train up a child in the way that they should go is another thing that we have to make sure that that's your job. And grandparents, you'd never underestimate you're helping nurture your future generations, the generation to generation, is actually train up a child in the way that they should go. It's actually, it's, it's no, there's no guarantees. It's a proverb. It's no guarantees. It's not a promise. It's just a, it's a proverb. But it's actually saying train up a child in the way that they are hardwired, the way they are naturally, um, you know, they are in, intrinsically designed by God. And so if you've got a kid who's an extrovert, it's very hard to keep an extrovert still. If you're an introvert, you're going, that's the only way to behave. You know, this is the way to behave. But, you know, if you're an academic or if you're a sporting person or a music person, um, I, I did a, a term of trumpet. I'm not very musically inclined at all. My son, on the other hand, my second son, we taught him how to, well, we didn't teach him. We gave someone to pay the lessons, saxophone. He learned to play the saxophone. He was committed at the age of 10. He wanted to learn the saxophone. And then he taught himself how to play, after the saxophone, the guitar, and then the trumpet, and then the keyboard. Now he's a composer, and he's a worship leader. And I'm thinking, he didn't get it from me, but I was training him up in the way that he should go, the way that he is hardwired, by created uniquely by God. And sometimes that can be the friction point. If we don't know our children, we're going to find a frustration. And, and many of you might recall the things that you wanted your kid to do something or behave a certain way, doesn't always hardwire. So that's the reason why I like noise in the, in the, in a service. I like the noise. I like the interaction. Because some kids just naturally are that way inclined. That's the reason why I, I always got the kid who's the most wriggly to come and do something for me. It was perfect, perfect thing you did there, Josh, a thing like that. 
And, and I do think when we, when we refer to needing God's wisdom in everything, is that we need to ensure that we have it in our own hearts first. We need to have a real, authentic, genuine faith to be able to flow in an effect. It's not just head knowledge, remember? We have to start with that reverent fear of God. And our job is to train up our kids and set out boundaries and discipline. And, and discipline actually comes from the same root word as disciple. So not only are you disciplining kids, putting boundaries in place, but you need to make sure that you disciple them in the way that they should go. But before we have kids, before we have kids, we have to get married first. That is God's ultimate design. And I said before, there might be people who have been gone through a heartache of uh, divorce or being widowed or, or whatever circumstance, or you haven't found your lifelong partner, or God has actually said, maybe marriage is not for you. That does not mean you are a second-class citizen. But for those who are married, for those who are, would like to be married or married again, this, this section will be for you. Many people will stand before their family and friends and say those great words, for better or for worse, for richer and poorer, in sickness and health, till death do us part. And they really meant it when they're tired, but then life gets the better of them. And circumstances, sometimes by their own choices, sometimes the circumstances of others, or they just weren't prepared for the relentless role and responsibility of being someone's spouse because they get a front row seat of all your flaws. Anyone here got any flaws? Anyone? Anyone? No? Just one or two. We'll do an altar call a little bit later on for honesty. (laughs) But the fan... I mean, I love being married. We've been married for 32 years and I love that my wife is my very best friend but I also love that she's my number one cheerleader but she's also my number one critic. She's the one who would actually give me the words of encouragement or the words of, you know, correction as it needs to be. But, uh, and we do a lot of ministry together and we love doing that. In fact, tomorrow night will be one of those times where we do a, a webinar together and we bounce off each other and share some of our highs and some of our not-so-highs. And, but... Being married is a form of discipleship. It's a form of discipline. It's because you learn to become less selfish. You learn to serve. And that's the ideal. And it's not always easy to love unconditionally. In fact, we might have this idea, and many young people have happened, and we see in our culture today the, the level of people deciding to live together before they get married. In, in our culture today... Uh, in the Australia, it's about 88 to 90% of couples will choose to live together before they get married. Uh, we see a number of people choosing not to get married. We see a number of people uh, delaying. It used to be that young people used to get married, um, you know, 22, 23, 24. The average age now is about 30 to 20, 27 to 30 years of age, so they're delaying it. Um, but we have this idea that once we find our lifelong partner, that things will be wonderful. And that's, it's just, doesn't make any sense to think that you were not complete as an individual, but we're only complete with our identity in Christ. I saw in a slide before about a woman's conference that had identity in Christ. That is such a big part that one other person does not complete you. In fact, you know, there was, I think it was, uh, was the, um, Tom Cruise movie or something like that. And he says these wonderful lines and he looks in the camera and I'm going to see the people at home and they'll get this. And it says, you, Completely. 
Another human being does not complete another human being. It doesn't. You complement each other, but you do not complete. And a lot of young people go into marriage with this idea that they are going to be complete once they find their lifelong partner. We need to find our completeness, our identity in Christ, and then our lifelong partner is a helpmate, is a complementing, not a completeness, a completeness oh, to be complete in that way. And the challenge is when we go in with that mindset and not that wisdom that we need from God, we have a domino effect and we see the level of divorce increasing, we see the level of mental health increasing, we see the level of dissatisfaction and if you're not making me happy, I'll go and find someone who will and it just has a domino effect and I know if I was to spend more time with you, you could try and sh- you would share with me some of your heartbreaking stories. Maybe not you personally, but you know of those people who they started off in love and then life got the better of them. And they weren't working and investing and, and putting in the hard yards to make the marriage work. That verse where it talks about an excellent wife who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. We might just say that that's for husbands to treat their wives as jewels, but for wives to treat their husbands as jewels. We run a marriage retreat. We're running one in October with the CYC Adventure Resort. In uh, So if you'd like to consider that, we've... we've um, We've had eight marriage retreats cancelled in the last two years, so this is going to be our first one we've uh, hosted. It's the most most life-transforming, but the most satisfying to see couples that come together on a marriage retreat. And they could hardly, you know, they would hardly be in the same room together. And at the end, holding hands and being connected. It's just truly, truly a, a blessing and a privilege to be able to help those people. But we actually give every participant a little jewel. looks like a diamond. And we said, you need to treat each other as a precious jewel. Treat each other with value, dignity and respect to cherish them because God has entrusted this person with you in your life. And uh, a guy sent me an email uh, a couple of months afterwards and said, I, I've, lo- I've lost it. I've lost the jewel. I'm really sorry. And he was so convicted by this little jewel that I gave him. He actually got a tattoo. Now, I'm not recommending tattoos, but he got a a tattoo of a diamond on his shoulder. So every time he woke up in the morning and had a shower, he'd remember to treat his spouse, his wife, like a precious jewel. That's what we need from when we look at the... It's a good thing. It's a good thing to be married. It's a good thing. And so coming to a little bit more of a landing is... When it comes to your spouse, are you taking them for granted? Are you showing appreciation? Are you valuing them? Are you cherishing them? Um, I'm guilty of this. I can tune out with my wife if I'm not giving my undivided attention. Anyone else got tuned out that, that? Anyone? I'm the only one. Okay, that's right. And to do parenting well, to do relationships well in husband and wife, just be a, a kid, because you've all been kids for it, and obviously many of you may have had your parents die, but you've got that still that influence over your children or your grandchildren. We've, we've all got connections somewhere along the line. And the only way we can do this well is having our vertical relationship continue to grow and flourish to help our horizontal relationships glow, grow and flourish. So my prayer for you is that not only will some of the, the words that I've shared, some of the, the things that um, will be of benefit to you, 
will be something that you can have an ongoing conversation at home. So a question you might have been able to say is, and obviously there's no kids here, I would actually ask the kids, how are your parents? Are they good role models? So if they're not here, maybe you have to actually ask them and say, am am I being a good role model? Am I being someone who is genuine and authentic? Am I able to listen to you? Am I able to be engaged with you? So it's a humbling position to be. And if, if I was kids here, I'd be saying, are you listening to your parents? Uh, you know, like, you could actually ask them yourself. But if you're married here today, maybe you can ask yourself, how am I going as a husband? How am I going as a wife? But then go to the next level and actually say, do you feel valued? Do you feel cherished? Do you feel worthy? Am I serving you? Am I being selfless? ongoing conversations to make sure, like in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where it talks about loving the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And then it talked about a lifestyle when you're walking along the road, when you're going to bed at night. It's not just a one-off event. It's an ongoing 24-7 relationship with our vertical relationship with our Heavenly Father to help us with our horizontal relationships with one another. I mean, we've all fallen short. We've all fallen short of our ideal. We know that. And that's the reason why God sent his son Jesus for each and every one of us. To know that he loved us unconditionally. So we need a role model that so we can love one another unconditionally. It's a challenge we all have to face at some stage or another to be able to ensure that we continue to seek his wisdom, to seek falling more in love with his son Jesus to have that healthy reverence for God because it is the beginning of wisdom. And maybe maybe you don't know, your relationship with God may be fractured at the moment. Maybe there's a disconnect, but there is a domino effect. When that relationship with God is disrupted, it actually has a ripple effect in our other relationships. So the best place to start is actually saying, God, I do not have it all together. I humbly come before you and say, I do not have all the answers, but I know that you do. Help me to continue to have that healthy reverence for your son and your word because it is the beginning of wisdom. Let me pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. Help us all to become more Christ-like in the way that we interact with one another, in our families, in our workplace, even within this church. Lord, continue to help us to have that reverence and healthy fear of your son, Jesus, that we can become your children. We are your children. You love us unconditionally, even though we fall so far short. But you just don't want us to stay there. You sent your son Jesus so that we can have a right relationship with you. So that we have not only a right relationship with you, but enables us to have a right relationship with one another. And Father, I pray, Lord, for those who, who are experiencing this now in their own lives, that they're going through a difficult time with relationships with prodigals or with past relationships or hurts or grief or sorrow or trauma. Lord, I pray, let them not just stay in that place. Let them learn to continue to forgive, 
process and move on because we know that you are a God of the restoration, a God of reconciliation. I pray, Lord, that you continue to help us become more Christ-like in every interaction that we may have. We ask for this in your most precious, most wonderful name. Amen.